Hello, this is Roman Gabriel, and you are listening to The Grilling Truth. Welcome, everybody, to the NFL's Grilling Truth Legend Show. I'm your host, Mike Goodpaster. I want to remind you guys the Legend Show is brought to you by Replenishing Care Technologies and Gridiron Mo. so check both of those out. Um, our guest today, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Cincinnati Bengal fan, but this is one of those guys I know people who listen in the past know that I'm always saying this guy should be in the Hall of Fame, one of the greatest cornerbacks in NFL history. I think he's still second all-time behind Dick Knight Train Lane for most career interceptions by a cornerback. Help me welcome to the show, Ken Riley. How you doing, Ken? Fine. How you doing, Mike? Happy to be a part All of right. the show. Um, well, to start off, number one, it's an honor to have you on the show. And number two, just tell us about basically how this started, your life growing up in Florida, who some of your early influences were. Well, I was... Uh born and raised in Florida from a little place called Bartow, Florida, about 12,000 people. Uh, went to uh, elementary all the way up through high school at a little place, a school named Union Academy, which was had about 500 people. Yeah, but we had a great uh, football program, uh, not, not only football, but great uh, athletic teams. And I know of Hawaii, our high school team, we had 11 guys that actually went to NFL and eight of them started at least one year. So that's my claim to fame. A lot of people, um, the school at that particular time, nobody in the area, including Tampa, had probably more pros in the NFL than we did at that time. But I graduated from there and went on to Florida University. I was a quarterback in high school and, and in college, and I played up on the legendary uh, Jake Gaither and uh, played quarterback. You know, I started... Well, I, I led it four years, and the last two years I had all of the records when I had left except one. Uh, but then uh, I was drafted in the sixth round. I had no idea uh, because I was a quarterback during that time, you know, a black quarterback, so I didn't get that opportunity. But I was an athlete just like so many other people uh, that played quarterback. Usually you probably one of the better, best people on the team all around. So uh, I took advantage of it. Uh, and when I got there, Coach Brown, when they drafted me, they said uh, quarterback slash defensive back, just this, this athlete pretty much. And when I got into camp, he said, you're a cornerback, and the rest is history. I went on and played uh, 15 years, started 15 years, uh, about middle ways of my rookie year, and I started from then on. All right, so yeah. when Paul Brown tells you you're going to be a cornerback, I mean, was that something that upset you, or was that something you were good with? I was I was good with it. Uh, I, uh, I I knew at the time I wasn't the typical quarter, uh, quarterback at that time, six four, six three, drop back quarterback. I was a scrambler. Yeah. And uh, I ran around. I threw the ball. Well. I think I could throw as well as anybody. But again, I was like Russell. I was about you know five eleven and a half, something like that. But I was running like full fours. Uh, yeah, and back then, a, rambler, a yeah. running quarterback, I mean, the only ones I remember around that time were probably Fran Tarkenton and Bobby Douglas. Right, right. But I was on that style, that mode. I was in that mode. So uh, so he just, you know, he gave me opportunity. You know, I, I was drafted. He had Tom Bass was the defensive coordinator. 
at that time, and uh, he came down and uh, was working out uh, with him. He came down and showed me what to work on, and uh, I worked on that. When I went to camp, uh, you know, I, I went there and I did pretty well. I mean, I was raw because, like I said, I never had played, but they saw some physical abilities and then some traits. You know, I could backfill, I could change direction, I can do this and do that. And I think the, the biggest thing was I went to a team that was just in their second year of existence. If I had probably gone to an established team, I don't know if they would have, you know, given me that chance to develop. So I, it was, I was just in the right place at the right time and, and took advantage of a good situation. Yeah, and the other thing with Paul Brown there, even though it was an expansion team only in their second year, he put together, I mean, every year Paul Brown was there, his coaching staffs, I mean, you had a bunch of guys that ended up being NFL head coaches or were yeah. assistants for a long time. So really, if you're going to go somewhere and switch positions, those were the coaches to be around to do that, I would think. Oh, yeah, like I said, Tom Bass was, was, was the first guy that I started out with and uh, taught me the basics. I didn't have any bad habits. And uh, I can remember the, the, the first time we had a guy named Eric Crabtree. He was a wide receiver that had brought in from Denver. And we were running routes, and uh, he beat me the first time. And uh, he was very good. Uh, Ken, you need, you do, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And uh, they threw a quick out, five out. And I, I, I reacted so fast, I, I picked it off, and I thought that got some, you know, some attention. They could see the possibilities. And like I said, I'm just appreciative that uh, – I had a guy like Tom Bass and Paul Brown who who saw the skills and uh, and gave me an opportunity. But boy, it was you know you had twenty some defensive backs in camps. You only kept with six. <laughs> well, that's that back when you used to have what six preseason games too, though. Yeah, and that was a, I think that helped too because you had long preseason games, so it gave you an opportunity to to get a chance. You know, now you you there one or two weeks, you're playing preseason games, so. Uh, it was a long camp. It was it was fun though. We had a lot of guys, you know, doing just pranks and stuff all during the year. And I came out with six nine with Greg Cook, who I thought was a great quarterback. So I didn't have any qualms at all about. It. He was Greg Cook was something else. And uh, we all were a good friend and, uh, and played well together. I, we, I say it all the time. It's either probably. Uh, didn't get hurt. You know, tell her how many Super Bowls I may have on my finger right now. Because that's just how good I thought he was, and a lot of other people did too. Yeah, and I mean, almost anybody that saw him play, I know my father was one that used to tell me that the Pittsburgh Steelers would have never existed in the form they are today if Greg Cook would have stayed healthy. Because he in said my those opinion, Super Bowl rings would have went to the Bengals. Yeah, in my opinion, that would have happened. So, But again, you know, we don't know. But just based on what I've seen, I was a quarterback and his physical ability, and he. He had that uh, thing about him that made people around him like him and and and, uh, and want to play with, play for him and block for him. So he, he was special, and it's just unfortunate it didn't work out. He got hurt. Now you talked a little bit about Paul Brown. What was your relationship like with Coach Brown? And it had to be special to play for a guy that had done the things and accomplished the things he had during his career. Uh, it was very special, and you had to earn his respect. I mean, you didn't just get it. He was a guy, he wasn't real tall in stature, but, boy, he carried a big stick. And he'll let you know from day one, you know, what is expected of you. And if you didn't get the job done, you know, that was it. He didn't tolerate uh, any off-the-field uh, activities that, that would be embarrassing to the organization. But at the same time, if you had 
uh, any problem, you know, you, you can go to him and he will help. He used to always tell you, you know, I pay you a good salary. I want you to conduct yourself off the field just like we would on on the field. And uh, I thought that was that was good. But if you didn't get the job done, uh, he will let you know it. I mean, even during the course of the game. So a lot of us, including me, played out of fear. You can go in thinking you're having a good game. You have those meetings on Tuesday. You still might come out sweat up under your arm because <laughs> he was just <laughs> he was just so demanding. But he but he was fair. And if, if you were the best person, you you're going to play. I can remember. Uh, I guess I was getting a little bit older, and uh, you know I don't think I really had really never had a bad year. But you know, it's some passes that were caught, and he came up. He said, Ken. You see who we drafted? I said, yes, sir. He said, <laughs> we looking to replace you. <laughs> so you can see the handwriting on the wall. And I know when it came, I had been in the league, you know, six, seven years, and uh, I've always been the right corner. And then uh, in training camp, I saw myself, you know, going, switching side, right, left, you know, slight right, left. So I was one. I didn't ever you know, uh, say anything, but I just did my job. So they played the first game, preseason game, in Miami. i never forget it. And Bob Creasy was the quarterback. And the first two times he threw on that side, I picked them off. And, then I, you know, I played by the half. Cause back then, early, you know, you don't play the whole game. So we got back in camp. He walked up to me. He said, I like what you did. Now get back over there where you are and you stay there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know you guys, 69, you guys, yeah, I think you started off pretty well. Greg Cook yeah. got hurt, oh, season went right. bad. You get to 1970, you guys are 1-6, and six, look yeah. like you're dead in the water, end up right. winning seven straight games, making the That's playoffs, right. going 8-6. and six. What was right. the catalyst to turn that season around? Well, a combination of a lot of things. I think we had a lot of young guys, just very similar to the Steelers. Coach Brown was getting good players in because the next year, Lamar Parrish came. And Lamar was, and he had, uh, and in the year, I think Casanova came, but in 70, Lamar came, and Lamar was a running back that was converted to a defensive back as well. He was a great return guy. And we both were from Florida. And uh, uh, we had some other people come in. I forgot who all came in in 1970, but, you know, with the one that we got in 69 and some of the guys he, he brought in through, uh, I forgot what they call it at that particular time, but uh, we began to mesh. And uh, once we got on, got on that winning thing, we liked winning. We were a lot of fun. You know, we made some mistakes, but we made it up with effort. And I think the continuity we were getting to establish really helped us over the, over the, get us over the hump. And I think that that year we went to the playoffs and we we lost in the first round. I think it was to the Baltimore Colts, and that was United. And that was a thrill for me just to be on the field with a legend that I've already respected and admired, even when I was in high school with he and uh, Raymond Berry. So uh, then they went on. I think they won the Super Bowl that year. But um, it, it was a great feat. It just, you know, Chris Brown and his staff did an excellent job with a young team, and uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, and you talked about Lamar Parrish. That's another guy. I think both of you guys belong in the Hall of Fame. I think his interceptions were in the low 40s. You were in the 64, 65. You want to talk a little bit about him and also Tommy Casanova and Bernard Jackson. I mean, you guys during the mid-70s, we yeah. one of the best defensive backfields in history. 
There's no doubt about it. I think we were. I mean, and for a long period of time, uh, two contrasts in style. Uh, Lamar was flashy. Lamar, uh, even in the dress, when we go somewhere, Lamar had these loud colors. He, he was the first Deion Sanders. Uh, they call him Leaping Lamar. Uh, the thing that probably separated him from me was that he returned kicks. Uh, and I did in the pump returns and stuff. Tom Casanova was another one who was, you know, he played five years and then he went into, I think, the, uh, the ophthalmologist or something like that. And Bernard Jackson was a running back, again, that was converted to uh, defensive back from Washington. He's deceased now, but we were close. And uh, we were good athletes. Uh, Lamar was, uh, I say, I, I will say, I always use the, the deal where he was the Willie Mays and I was the Hank Aaron. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was a technician. Uh, I could run. I, I was very quick, quick hands. Got great hands. I mean, I was quarterback, so I had a good feel for the, for the ball. I know. And we used to talk about, man, why you haven't been in the Pro Bowl? I mean, in 1976, I had nine interceptions. Nine. Lamar was hurt just about most of the season. And I think he only had like two, and he went to the Pro Bowl that year. And I remember yeah. Charlie Runners was the coach, and he said, I know you're going this year, so we were playing the Jets. I picked off three the last game of the season, and two of them was against Joe Namath in his final year, and they, that's why I don't have any respect for the Pro Bowl. I know there's a uh, popularity yeah. deal and stuff, and people try to hold this against me uh, because I never played in a Pro Bowl, and I think it's unfair, but again, I don't make that decision. It doesn't upset me when I get so many people. Why isn't he in, in the Pro Bowl? I mean, why is he in the NFL Hall of Fame? And then even in my last two years when I played in 82 and 83, I led the conference in interceptions. So you take 76, 82, and 83. My stats are there. It speaks for itself. But to hold that against me because I didn't play in a Pro Bowl, I think is ridiculous based on, you know, on, on and I don't care how, 65 career interceptions, you have to be doing something right. Yeah, and didn't you pick off in 82 towards the end of your career, you picked off Jim Plunkett three times, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I did, I did that three times in a game. I and think I think I that was the Raiders only lost in the regular season that, season, that year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I picked off three interceptions, either two or three times during my career in one game, you know, so. But again, you know, I'm satisfied with it. A lot of other people appreciate it, but that's why it's, you know, you got this effort going on right now, you know, trying to uh, to ask the question why, you know, when you look at your stats and, you know, what you, know, what you accomplish. And Lamar well, has and the thing is this, you're not the only one in that boat either. No, no, like, it's not. It's, it's some great I mean, that, that's the bad thing about it. I mean, they're letting yeah. guys in that – I mean, maybe he's a defensive end. He got a lot of sacks, but they took him off the field when it was time to run the ball. I mean, to me, that's not a Hall of Famer. You <laughs> yeah. got to be able to do everything, right? Um, right. You got a guy like Robert Brazil, who I've had on the show before. Lamar, Lamar will tell you he well. belongs. Yeah, yeah. Robert Brazil should be a yeah. Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. And yeah, like but I mean I said, that's the bad thing because there's a bunch of guys, and the problem is the way they vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean, it just makes no sense. I think, you know, earlier, you know, I don't really think, I don't know how they did it, but, you know, now, you know, it, it just every year somebody else coming out who is deserving. And what's the criteria? What's it? So, you know, you, you, you can't cry it. If it happened to you, then, you know, great. But if not, then you move on with your life. You can't, you can't, you can't worry about things that you can't control. But like I say, it's just like when people look at you, they come in and say, hey, why are you? Uh, but you ask you those questions. Hey, I can't answer that question, you know. 
So yeah, I mean, but, but it makes it a lot, a lot better deserve. when people that you respect yeah, believe people, that you yeah. should be in there. Right. So, yeah. all right, we get we get the seventy one seventy two. Bengals were a little bit down. People thought after seventy, you know, they were going to become a Super Bowl contender. Seventy three, though, you guys have a new quarterback who came in. I think it's seventy one, Kenny Anderson. Yeah, I think you guys went ten and six, made it to the playoffs, lost to the Dolphins, that great Dolphins team in the playoffs. You want to talk a little bit about the seventy three season? Well, Kenny came in at that time. I think we have gone through. Several quarterbacks, Virgil Carter, I think uh, I, I can't recall who else, but you know uh, we didn't have any stability at that position. I mean, Virgil did a great job, and uh, but Kenny, uh, Kenny probably had the best throwing arm. He's another one that should be, and he probably will get in there eventually now. But uh, Kenny deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, but uh, uh, great person, great personality, you know. Uh, Great skills. Uh, he's, you know, he's been an MVP in, in the '81, '82 season uh, when we went to the Super Bowl. But yeah, Kenny came in and and gave us. Uh, I, I think early in his career, leadership was something that was lacking. But but he was young. But he, he was just, you know, his physical. Everybody admired and you know respected the physical ability he had. But then later on, he be, he matured and became the leader of the team as well, and that made a big difference in our overall success. Yeah, and the other thing I want to touch on is Paul Brown and the rivalry with the Cleveland Browns and what that was like back in the 70s, especially well, we, the early we, 70s. Yeah, we all knew uh, Coach Brown you know, wanted to beat Cleveland, and we wanted to you know, to beat Cleveland for him. And that's because you know we really loved him and respected him. Because like I said, you know he's... With all of that you said, he we knew he he had you know he he respected us. Now some of the things that he did as far as he didn't want any stars on this, he wanted pretty much everybody to be on the same kill. Uh, I think that may have hurt us too. And and and, and as far as awards uh, outside of the, the team awards, because you know he he felt like everybody he treated everybody as the same, but he didn't want any superstars. He wanted people that to go in and do your job and. And your job would speak for itself, but uh, unfortunately, you know, if you want outside awards, you you, you got to have, you know, a little bit more than that. But uh, uh, like I said, I respect him. I learned a whole lot from him uh, as a as a coach because you know I, I look at all these things. You know, you give all these incentives to players. You know. If you get so many sacks, you pay you. If you get so many thousand dollars, you get this and that. And I found him, but Coach Brown said, "Well, that's what I'm paying you to do anyway." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so you do, because guys get selfish. You know, if you got a guy who's a defensive man who's going to get so much money for so many sacks, and if his job to contain, uh, he's going to go wherever it is so he can get that sack. So then he might. You know, he might hurt the defense overall because he's being selfish by just getting a sack or defensive back. The same thing when you want to knock the ball down, you're trying to intercept it, intercept it, it bounces out your hand, and somebody else is getting to go for a touchdown. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned from him. And uh, I had some good coaches, my college coach and high school coach, very similar. And, you know, they, you felt like they was concerned about you more than just on the field and off the field as well. That means a lot when a player feels like that that feels you know that you are concerned about him and, and they they want to play for you and I think that's what we all uh, did for Coach Brian want to play for him and you just hear so many you get all the guys everybody got a different story to tell but it was all good 
All right, so you get to 1975. One of the best teams in Bengals history. You guys go 11-3. and yeah. Paul Brown retires at the end of that season. I mean, what was that? Was that a shock, or was it something you guys kind of saw coming? I didn't see it coming because we had come off of a, a very good season. Boy, we wanted to go on and, 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 and you know, win a Super Bowl for him uh, because uh, he deserved it. And we knew uh, that, you know, time was going on. But I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I, I didn't know he was going to retire. But, uh, you know, I guess he was. T- he felt that it was time. And he, he brought the team from 1968 until this point. And, and, you know, to come over that, that may have been the best record we had, I think, since, you know, in existence at that time. I think 11-3. I don't think we had any record better than at that time. No, so, I think uh, you guys had the ten and four and seventy three, but eleven and three, right. I think, was the best. Eleven and three was it was a year, and we wanted to move on. And boy, they just it's getting around, getting bad at first round. You know, we, we never did do it. So, but uh, yeah, we 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 wanted to do it all, and uh, it didn't happen. But he did get a chance, you know, at one point as a as a you know general manager. But we wanted to do it for do it for him as the head coach. Yeah, and I mean, Bill Tiger Johnson got the job. Your yes. defensive coordinator. Yeah. I mean, was that something that everybody? Because you know, everybody looks back and everybody has twenty twenty vision and says, "Well, we could have had Bill Walsh." But I know I had Kenny Anderson on the show about six to eight months ago, and he's like, "Well," he said, "I didn't know that Bill Walsh was even ready or mature enough to take the head coaching job yet." Well, the thing about it, you know, I don't know. Like I said. Coach Brown and Mike is very similar, very loyal to his staff and the people around him and to the players. And I don't know the the type of relationship that existed at that particular time. Nobody knows that, but Coach Brown and and and, and the other coaches at that particular time. I, I think if 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 he had made any decision or said something to anybody, I know he's always been straight with me. And like he told me, he said, Ken, you know, uh, when you uh, retire. I'm not going to issue that jersey. I, I was telling Mike that's what your dad told me. But you know, I, I have no problem with that. Uh, yeah. As for the number 13, but they don't have an officially retired. But he said that to me, and he said that when your playing career is done, you know, I want you to be involved in this organization. And when I retired, I did get an opportunity to go back there, but I went with Forest to Green Bay as a coach. So he's true to his words. So I don't know what was said. At that particular time, but I know if, if 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 that decision was made, it was based on, you know, the relationship and what was said to those individuals at that particular time. And, and like I said, I can't, I don't know what that was, and, and and I respect his, you know, his decision. Yeah, and then team '76 had a good season, ten and four, missed the playoffs, lost the snow game to Pittsburgh, where I think Booby fumbled the ball in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Pittsburgh scored and won. Lost the game in Oakland, which basically kept us out of the playoffs, kept the Bengals out of the playoffs. Then you get 77, which was another one where finally the Bengals beat the Steelers at Riverfront, but then lose the next week to Houston. They're huge. Um, it had to be frustrating through those years. I know you guys were that good. And you throw on the Greg Cook getting hurt. You throw on Tommy Casanova retires after only five years. Mike Reed, who was another great oh, Bengal player who retired too. after six years. You yeah. have to kind of feel a little bit snake bitten at some point, didn't you? Oh, yeah, because like those individuals that you mentioned, I mean, that was really had an effect because 
you know, Mike Reed, we don't talk about him, but, boy, you're talking about one of the quickest guys over the nose that i ever seen him. I'm like, wasn't big. And he's a piano player. He's, you know, out of Penn State. But, boy, boy, an athlete. You know, he he was great. And like you said, Casanova, Weaver, and, and Chip Miles. That was another one, a wide receiver. One fast, but ran great moves. And, you know, uh, boy, you, you, we, we had a lot of talent. It was always something that just, we were like snake bit. We just couldn't get over the hump. You know? And I just felt that we could have gotten in that opportunity, got past it. Like, except very similar to the teams now. They couldn't yeah. get around that first playoff, get around that first playoff win. And we were, regular season, we were just doing very, very well. And uh, it was always something. Somebody dropped a ball here, a defense. It was a team effort. It was a team loss. wasn't an individual player, but we just, like, we were snake bit. We couldn't get it done. And we was always in the shadow of the Cincinnati Reds. But then, you know, <laughs> we were young, excited. Yeah, in the 70s, that was a huge yeah. shadow. Yeah, yeah, it was a big shadow. And we you know, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and George Foster. We all, you know, sometimes was, would see each other in a restaurant or something like that. But it was a big red machine back then, so we we had to deal with that too. But we, the relationship was good amongst us. Yeah, then the team kind of bottomed out 78, 79. Then 1980 comes, and they bring in Forrest Gregg, who Vince Lombardi called the greatest football player he ever coached, which – That'll tell you right there about Forrest Gregg as a player. Um, right. Forrest turned it around here pretty quick, 6-10 and ten the first year, but the team was a lot more competitive than they were the two years before. What did Forrest do to turn everything around within a year or two here in Cincinnati? Well, first of all, you know, I have to, uh, I have to mention Homer Rice. Homer Rice was before him, and Homer Rice was a, a motivation-type person. I mean, I could have played for motivation, but we had a lot of young guys coming in. And we had some bad habits on it on the team, and and and, and it wasn't because of Coach Rice's ability, but the discipline part was missing because uh, he was just such a a, a a guy who you know give you that motivation. But uh, a lot of guys, uh, young guys, just needed somebody to put the helm down. Yeah, and and we had already heard prior to him get there about his reputation from Cleveland, about he was this and that. And, and I was almost on the verge of, you know, getting out of retiring anyway. I said, man, I can't go. I can't go. I mean, we heard the horrid stories about Forrest Gregg. He was this and he was that. And, he, you know, he was intimidating as it was. He was six four or more, and, you know, he had that menacing smile, uh, expression on his face. and He was no nonsense. And, <laughs> He came into camp. I think he was in Canada at that time. We was out there practicing. I don't know. And then he came on the field. Everybody saw him. And uh, we said, wow, okay. So he came in, and uh, like I said, his reputation preceded him. And everybody was aware of uh, at least of the rumors of how he was. So he got the respect right away. And I think that's exactly what we needed He, you know, as far as uh, off the field, some of the things off the field that was going on. And, and then we we got the leadership within the football team because you have to sort of uh, amongst yourself you got the coaches only with you doing the you know out of in the practice field but outside you got to have leadership within he he gave us that he he told us we need we had to monitor each other we did that not you know not the fact that other people but we really did that we felt that way it was a family 
and uh, yeah. came with the discipline part of it and all those other things, the leadership coming from within, monitoring each other off the field as well as on the field. Uh, it really helped us get over the hump the next year from Senate 6 and 10 until we had a great year that year. Should have won it all. Again, but should have not good enough. We were really good to me. That and, was and the, the thing about that team, team that, that I, I remember. Ever, that's the best, best team I've ever been on all around. The, it, it, the thing I remember the most about that season was the toughness shows up right away in the first game where you're down three touchdowns yes. at halftime. That's and then right. the third string quarterback, not even a second, Turk Schoenert has to come Turk in because Thompson right. was hurt. Right. And you guys come back and win the game. Yeah, we we were. It was a, it was a good part. And then that that uh, that uh, championship game. Oh man, that was unbelievable. So cold, Kenny threw the ball like it was ninety degrees in that game. I couldn't. Cause, I mean, it was it was seriously cold. And I know I talked to some of the guys. I said, look, because I, I learned from Pittsburgh, it would be cold up in Pittsburgh, and those guys would come out with shorts, you know, no no nothing, just a little sleeve shorts, uh, jerseys, and that sacked you out. And uh, I never forget, I was telling some of the guys, I said, look, man, we're going to be just like Pittsburgh. We're going to go out there and, 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 and with our sleeves on. And, and really, uh, San Diego got off the plane. We was out there running around like it was, you know, 80 degrees, practicing. And they came out and looked on the field and got right back on the bus and went on home. I mean, well, back I'll tell to you, the I had, you remember Ed White? Yeah, yeah. The great Pro Bowl guard that yeah, the San Diego yeah, had. Yeah, I had him on yeah. the show like a year ago, and this always yeah. irritates me. And he yeah. he did the same thing their fans do because we start talking about that game. And he's like, yeah, if it wasn't 59 degrees or 59 degrees below zero, we'd have won the game. That was the difference. And I'm like, well, do you forget? What about during the regular played? season when we beat yeah, him real bad? Yeah, played in November. It was 80 degrees. Yeah, and Lewis returned an interception for 102 yards in that game in San Diego. Yeah. Same year. I mean, now. I think – <laughs> that was the to me. That was the turning point that this team can do something special. When you guys went to San Diego and blew That's them right. out, because right. I think at the time the Bengals were only like what six and four. Yep, something like that. But uh, something like that, and then you guys went on the run after that. Yeah, went on the run, and we beat them during the regular season. So don't don't use that as an excuse. We oh, both played in the same me. type of element. And then he told me he didn't remember that game. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And beat them bad. We sure did, yeah. And then you go to the Super Bowl, you're playing the 49ers, a guy that used to coach with the Bengals, Bill Walsh. Yeah. Um, they had a quarterback that was drafted in the third round, Joe Montana, just like you guys right. did with Kenny Anderson. Um, you'd been in the league for over a decade. What was the week leading up to that like for you? Well, we were, we were excited about it. Uh, we were happy to get there, and uh, we wanted to win it. Uh, again, it's, it's just one of those situations. I, I can recall even in the first drive, uh, Joe Montana threw a an out, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I made the play, knocked it down. But I, I figured, I mean, if I would have just gone, for, I mean, you always go back and say, if I would have done this and did yeah. this. You know, it had been different, but you know, fate as fate holds it, it, we just weren't good enough. Even in, I can remember uh, we were coming back, and I think Chris was running for a touch, and all of a sudden the ball just fell out. You know, yeah, all kind of things mind. just happened. You know, so uh, it just wasn't for us, uh, but it was a great experience. And, and uh, you know, I don't like Super Bowls. I don't watch it now because I, I really felt that year we were the best team in the NFL that year. But but, but you know. Second place, not good enough. So, 
but yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate because a lot of people uh, they gave it the all. We didn't give up because we were behind in that game. And, and, yeah, that was twenty one to nothing yeah. at halftime, or twenty to nothing at halftime. And if you could, no, nobody could tell somebody can stop us on the one goal line. I mean, I mean, first and goal, and we don't get in with Big Pete Johnson. We had Charles Alexander and Archie and. One young, I think Kenny even tried to get across on a quarterback sneak. It just one young man. So, but we, I mean, but it was some great individual performance. Danny Ross, boy, he was a great tight end as well. Yeah, that's still the greatest yeah. game any tight yeah. end's ever had in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a lot of individual efforts and team effort that went on. It's just unfortunate that we just couldn't couldn't uh, finish the the the, the, the game uh, in that way. But uh, it hurts. And uh, I'm sure we all we always remember because I, I and like I said that's the biggest, best Bengals team that I've been on since in my uh, time with the Bengals. But but it didn't yeah, happen. and we talked about you saw Atlanta blow a 25 point lead in the Super Bowl yeah. this year. To you, right. how big is the, the the deal people make out of the Super Bowl hangover? Is that something that is real? Was it real for the Bengals in '82? Oh yeah, you, you, it's definitely hanging. But you know, like you said, you examine your own self, and, and you know if you, if you felt that you you laid it all out there on the line, and I think most of us, all of us, did. I think, and sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. I think don't turn out in the end. But as long as you know that you given it your all and did the best that you could do, then that's all you can rely on, and and you move on. All right, the 1982 season, you guys started off 1-1, one and one, you blew out of Houston, you lost a close overtime game to Pittsburgh, then the strike came. What right. kind of effect do you think the strike had on that season? Well, we went to the playoffs, I think, that year, and uh, it was a short season. I think we were, what, 6-2? and two? I don't know what seven it was. 7-2. and 7-2, and two. I know that. And again, um, that first game, I think we lost in the first round of the playoffs, and uh we thought we were going to move on. And, uh, yeah, what was up with Freeman McNeil? It seemed like every time he played the Bengals, he was Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. So uh, you can't explain it. Uh, you know, like I said, we had, we was doing very, very well. Like I said, six or seven and two, and uh, we lost, and then and didn't get too far in the in the, uh, in the postseason. But again, it was a great effort, and. Uh, Unfortunate again that we can we haven't brought the big thing. Maybe this year, maybe it's this year. I, I like the draft. I you know what I've seen with the Bengals, so hopefully they get it all. But it's still, it, you know, as for a former player, you know, you would have wanted to have done that yourself. So uh, hopefully they'll continue to to move forward and, and try to bring that Lombardi Trophy to the city of Cincinnati because they, the fans are the organization. Everybody deserving of it. Now, you get the 1983, your final season. The team goes 7-9, yeah. and nine, so not a successful season. But the defense right. was ranked number one. Right. And yeah, I remember, I think, Kenny Riley Day against the yeah. Detroit Lions. What That's do you right. remember about that, your last game at Riverfront Stadium? Yeah, it was it was hard moment. I think I had the courage to uh, spoke uh, for the team that particular time. And I had my parents up. Uh, my, my my children, my wife, and everybody. My former coach, Coach Gaither, was there. He and uh, Coach Brown were, were pretty good friends. So I had my family. It was it was heartwarming, you know. This was the last game uh, of my career, 
And uh, I went out on top. I think I had eight interceptions that year. I think it was it was eight interceptions. I led the conference. But, but even in '82, I led the conference in the strike short season. But it it is a lot of memories, uh, great days, and I, I treasure every second and moment that I was there. And uh, great city. And uh, uh, it was. It was. It was hard. They gave me. Uh, I still have my a portrait, or portrait, silver tea well set. You know, to describe. You know, with my name and number and all that on it. And uh, it was. It was a great day. And I remember Reggie Williams came up to me and said, "Rattler," you know, and everybody because we were losing one time. I think we came back and won the game. So. Uh, they wanted to win it for the Rattler, and you know I really, uh, really appreciated that. And for them, it was the organization to have a Ken Riley Day that was special to me. Yeah, and you played with some great guys. We talked about the you guys did. in the early seventies. But you want to talk about the guys like Reggie Williams, Lewis Breeden, Bobby Kemp, Jim LeClaire, guys like that. Yeah, I just had a, uh, a Ken Riley Celebrity Golf Tournament this past weekend, and Archie Griffin came. Uh, Isaac Curtis was here. Lewis Breeden was here. And, I mean, those are the guys that, you know, I didn't contact. Kenny was supposed to have been coming. Kenny Anderson was coming. And he's right there in uh, Hilton Head in South Carolina. And his, his daughter was coming up, so he, he couldn't make it at the last minute. So, but, yeah, Booby Clark, you forgot. Booby. Essie Johnson is another one. Essie Johnson was a great back. Paul Robinson, I mean, yeah. it's from 69 yeah, to Robinson 83. and Johnson, those are two more guys that had injury yeah. problems, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essie Johnson was really, really good. You know, Charlie Jonah was doing that. Well, we used to have some battles just even in practice. That's why we were so good defensively and offensively. Yeah, I never because understood that great Charlie Jonah played. So, I mean, it's a whole list from 69 83. I played with some great guys. I remember guys that came from other teams. Coy Bacon, in the year in 76. I had nine interceptions. He must have had twenty some sacks that year, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think it was twenty seven or twenty eight to bank on yeah, the that year. Yeah, and then you know you got people like uh, Rufus Mays, who was deceased, and Sookie, Vernon Holland, who was a character. <laughs> I mean, I can go on. Like I said, you know, my roommate Lamar and Reggie was my roommate. Reggie Williams, who he was also uh, here this past weekend. We spent some time together. It was almost like a reunion. With Isaac and Lewis and Archie, and you know, we got together and did some things, and it's a fundraiser for a cause that I have. And uh, but boy, and Lewis, and it, it's a whole whole lot of people that are good people. And uh, Pat McInerney was another one, a punter. You know, here with Pat was a wide receiver and a great punter. You know, yeah, that you know, always irritates me when they say Ray Guy was the greatest athlete to ever punt. <laughs> I don't remember Ray Guy starting for two years for the Raiders. That's right. Pat was a wide receiver. I remember one time he was coming, he got hit, but boy, he got right back up. He was down for a while, but he got back up and still punted. And you got Bob Tom Johnson. Darden. Remember Tom Bob Darden? Darden wiped him out in that 80 just, game. Yeah, and Anthony Munoz had a chance to play with him and. And Max Montoya, I hate the name name because it was just so many. All those guys were great guys. I mean, we just had and the camaraderie and the friends. It's still there. I mean, it's still there. If somebody called me, when the bingo called me, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to be out there for them. I'm gonna do what I can. So, yeah, Dave Lapham and uh, Tom Dinkle and Jim LeClaire. Jim LeClaire, that was, you know, one of the captains. He was, you know, it, it'll be just great to see some of those guys at some point again. 
Well, all right. Um, you retired in 83. I know that you went on to coach with Forrest Gregg in Green Bay. What drew you to coaching, and how did you end up working with Forrest? Well, the thing happened, like I, as I said, Coach Brown said, when I was done, you know, to get back with him, he's going to, you know, see what he could do as far as me being a part of the organization. So I called back, and uh, Dick LeBeau was the coach. And uh, uh, it said that, well, you can come in and work with Dick LeBeau. It's like, I guess, shatter him for a year or so. And uh, Forrest had already contacted me when I retired. I was in December. I retired in December. He called me about two weeks later and said, Ken, I want you to come and, and uh, coach defensive backs for me. So I told him, I said, well, Coach, uh, I'm going to – Coach Brian already said that he wanted me to call him and and, and we'll go from there. So I called, and like I said, uh, Dick LeBeau, who really was – I got all the respect, still has the respect. He's still coaching. Yeah. But Dick was, was – when he came into Cincinnati, he really uh, had de- developed some bad habits by him being a cornerback and played. And, you know, he had 63. He's in the Hall of Fame. And we yep. talk about and it. It took him forever last, to get in, too. Huh? Yeah. It took him forever we, to get in. Too. Yeah, we talk about that now. My last game, I think, against Minnesota, I think I picked off two two touchdowns. I mean, two interceptions. And I passed him at 65. And we talk about that and who's this and all that. But anyway, uh, I t- you know, I told Forrest with the situation. No, Ken, he said, you know, I don't want you to work on I think you're ready to be a full-time defensive back coach. It's your job. And if you want it. So I uh, I took that offer because, you know, just, you know, coming, just retired from Cincinnati, I knew the guys, they knew me and all that. I thought I needed a change, and I needed to go where, you know, somewhere else. And yeah, get the defensive there. coordinator was Hank Bullock in Green Bay, wasn't he? He was. He had just left. As far as left, Hank Bullock went with him, and I think uh, Mojoleski, uh, the running back coach, and some others, I think, went on with him to uh, Cincinnati. So, I mean, to Green Bay. So, uh, and I accepted the job there because I felt that I needed, you know, I was too close to the guys that uh, just, just, you know, just retired, just got off the field. And so when even I went to Green Bay, uh, you know, James, we had just played them that year right at the end of the game. And, 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 but, but it was different. I didn't know them like I knew the guys in Cincinnati. So I felt I needed a change to get away. I had opportunity to come back uh, at one point. Uh, but you know, I went into went into the college. Then my college coach summons me about uh, coming back to Florida. And so after two years, I left and I was head coach there. Yeah, and that had to be special for you to go back to your alma mater and be it the head was, coach. It was. Did pretty good job. Did pretty good job. I had the opportunity even with Fox at SMU. Uh, he called me to come and be the head coach there. But uh, there were some things there that you know because of the yeah, that situation. And I really thought about that hard because I got all the respect and love for Forrest Gregg because he gave me that opportunity. And he was he was the head football coach in AD, and they wanted you know, they wanted him to assume both positions. So he called me and asked if I wanted to come there, and I went there. My wife and I and almost went there, but I said no. And when I, before I made, after I made it, I called Coach Brown. He was still living at the time, Coach Paul Brown. And he said, you know, Ken, I didn't want to tell you what to do, but I'm glad that uh, you didn't take that job because sometimes there's just so many things that's going on there right now. And that's, you know, that you can't, you don't have the freedom. You, but they still, 
and I didn't want you to get in a situation where you didn't do well and it, it hurts your career down the road. So I really appreciate him telling me that, saying that. All right. You were head coach for AM for a while, then you became the athletic director? Yeah, I was head coach for eight years, the athletic director for nine years. I was, I was there 17 years. So what do you like better, athletic director or head football coach? I like coaching. I, I really like coaching, but the, the problem in a small college is that you don't have the resources to do a whole lot of things, but people res- expect the same results. Yeah. And uh, it's like recruiting and then, you know, doing certain things, monetarily, scholarships, you got so many restrictions on The only reason why I stayed there was that was my alma mater. I put, I've, I've had a chance to get back into the NFL coaching, coaching during that time, but I was, again, my alma mater, and I stayed there for those, those length of time. We won two championships in, uh, while I was coaching, but I, I really believe that if I had gone back into the NFL, I probably would have been a head coach at some particular time. But I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I was doing a very respectable job. Yeah. Um, so do you regret not going there, or are you glad you stayed at Florida and No, no, I don't regret it because my, my children all got degrees and doing well for themselves, so I was there to monitor them and, and then be there. You know, when you're playing, you know, sometimes, you you know, you, you spend a whole lot of time, you know, doing things and going back and forth. So I don't regret it. Cause once I make that decision, I don't look back. Uh, so I don't regret it. I think, you know, like I said, they all got their degrees and, and doing very well, and that's, you know, there's always life after football, and you, family uh, comes first in a lot of instances. Well, I, I'd say God first and family. So, no, I don't regret it, but uh, it, it was a good ride. All right, so I know you retired from all that a while back. What are you doing today, or what occupies your time? Again, civic responsibilities. I'm involved in the community. I have a parent youth summit that I have. been doing it for seven years, and uh, that's another way of trying to bridge the gap. This came about from, from my experiences as a dean of student at the high school and just saw some of the conditions, some of these uh students are in and what they have to go with in addition to trying to, uh, to get an education. And uh, I thought there was a need to try to bridge the gap. So what we do is we have a parent youth summit that we have both parents and uh, the students. And uh, we have breakout sessions that come in and we address uh, problems or issues that may affect the family. And then we also have motivational speakers come up. We, we give out uh, computers and televisions and things. We, we, I call it the hook to try to get them to come, and it's free. Yeah. So once we get them in, then we try to deliver our message and be able to change and uh, at least show them another side of things. And it's been very, very, we have the very, very successful right now. We have the support of the entire community, with the police department, uh, the chamber, uh, the commissioners, and uh, it's been going very, very well. All right. Well, Ken, I want to tell you, it was an absolute honor to have you on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, keep doing the good work, the good thing that you're doing. Well, me and Joe Kelly, you remember Joe, the old Bengal yes. linebacker from the mid-late 80s, we do a weekly Bengal show. So during the season, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to have you on sometime. Okay, we'll do that. I know they got the All 50th right, anniversary thanks. coming up, and I know they're going to be bringing some people back, I guess, the first 50. Yeah, and, and they need to do a ring of fame. They, uh, I agree with you on that, but there I know I, I've be heard Mike say there. There's got to be a 14. But, there's got to be a 57, an 85. Right. I don't care if there's guys wearing them right now or not. You're right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and the 85 for anybody that's under the age of 40. I mean, I Isaac Curtis, Curtis, not Chad Oh, Jones. he was, boy, he is. He still looked good, too, but, boy, you're talking about it. He was something. I used to oh, kill, if you compare his Cleveland. stats to Lynn Swan, his stats are better than Lynn Swan's. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But, his problem was he didn't get to go to those Super Bowls that Lynn Swan got right, to go to. Right, But, yeah, yeah there, there needs to be something honoring the team. Right, that's right. I don't know why you can't have a small Bengals Hall of Fame at Paul Brown mm-hmm. Stadium like they do for the Reds. But, yeah, and yeah, and the Green Bay has that. Yeah, I, I think every team has that but the Bengals. Yeah, well. Of course, every team has a playoff win over the last 25 years except <laughs> the Bengals, too. Yeah, I can joke it. about that since I'm a Bengals fan. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I've pretty much given up on playoff wins, Ken. Yeah, yeah. But, but we'll get there. We'll but, all right. Hey, like I said, it was an honor having you on the show, and we'd love Thank to have you. you back sometime. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Make sure you check out our sponsor, Replenish Care Technologies, at replenishcaretechnologies.com. Check out GridironMo at www.gridironmo.com. You can catch all of our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Music, Spreaker, Stitcher. Anywhere you find sports podcasts, you'll find the grueling truth. So, for Ken Riley, I'm Mike Goodpastor. You've been listening to the grueling truth, where the legends speak.